Welcome to the One O'ahu Podcast. I'm Brandi Higa, and today is Thursday, January 18th, 2024. And we're joined this week by Captain Adrian Carvalho and Matt Ramsey, a firefighter too with the Honolulu Fire Department, both responsible for the rescue of Ian Snyder. That was a hiker who went missing for three days after falling nearly 1,000 feet near the Polynaches Trail last month. Thank you both for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yep, thank you. Uh, Captain, let's start with you first. What was your role on that day of the rescue? Uh, on the day of the rescue, we kind of actually I received a, we received a call at HFD that uh, to assist with HPD with a missing person. Uh, the, he was last heard from like three days prior. Uh, the call came from Officer Reed Tagamori uh, from HPD. They were able to uh, find a geolocation of his last known location based off of pinging his cell phone. So we went to that area and we did a search and we were able to locate him from Air One. Actually, our pilot, Zach Potter, located him. Uh, We were able to get Matt to the patient side to do an assessment and found that he was alive and he was um, conscious uh, to our disbelief, seeing that he was gone for so long and because of how far he was from the trail. Um, Basically, they packaged him and we were able to get him back to the LZ and uh, transferred him to EMS and yeah, the rest. Oh, the landing yeah. zone. The landing zone, yeah. excuse me, yes. <laughs> yep. And then firefighter Matt, same thing. What was your role that day? He said you kind of were the first one down there, but can you, if you can talk us through that day. Yeah, so we, we uh, yeah, actually to just to start the day, we were kind of in the middle of training, which is what we do all the time so that we're prepared for this kind of stuff. And uh, we headed over when we got the call. Um, we did it an aerial search with Air One. I was I was on the ground at the time. Uh, the two other rescue men were in the helicopter Air One with, with the pilot, Zach. And took about 30 minutes of searching, probably, yep, right before right. they spotted him, mm-hmm. before this pilot spotted him. And at that time, we decided to reset. Um, Air One came back to the landing zone, picked up myself, and... Uh, I brought some equipment, some medical assessment equipment with me, flew back to the location of the hiker, and um, I was lowered in on a rope and got patient side and did my assessment. And like Cap Adrian said, we were, it was pretty unbelievable that he was even alive. Uh, in fact, when the pilot spotted him, he, he said, he said like, oh, he's waving to me. Like, wow. very surprised that he was able to wave. But uh, yeah, I got patient side, did an assessment, and I was really surprised that the extent of his in, his injuries weren't worse. He did have a couple of fractures that is hard to tell during the assessment, but he was pretty banged up, a lot of cuts, scrapes, and bruises everywhere. The side of his face was really swollen. He must have hit his head. And uh, so yeah, I completed my assessment, um, explained to Cap Adrian what was going on with the patient, and requested another rescue man to come in with our packaging equipment, our Stokes basket, uh, long spine board. And um, and then he came in and we packaged the patient, called for everyone to come back and pick us up. And uh, because of his condition and the location and everything, the pilot uh, was comfortable with me. Um, we call it tending the basket, which I'm gonna basically be riding with the basket mm-hmm. with the helicopter at the end of the rope back to the landing zone. And luckily it's just a short flight, so it's not like a super far distance. We have to do that, but uh, back to the landing zone. And then, yeah, basically just pass off to EMS after that. 
you mentioned before that training what kind of training goes into something like this because you mentioned you got let down a pretty far ways because he fell yeah yeah i think the lower ended up being so the the distance from the helicopter to the patient on rope was probably a hundred plus feet right around a hundred feet that's what i remember maybe 120 something like that and captain for you you know it's not always that you find the patient and he's okay what kind of training goes into it for you as the guy that's kind of leading this rescue to make sure that they're equipped mentally physically tactically everything once you know you guys make you spot the guy so pretty much on every truck throughout the department we have monthly drills that we are supposed to do that are either prescribed or that we do so on the company level me as a captain my responsibility or one of my responsibilities to make sure that all the men on the men and women on the truck is um property trained so when it comes to like helicopter we we do it at a minimum usually once a month Hmm. and we do those types of evolutions similar to what we did that day as far as lowering guys into the um into areas to affect the rescue and then also to bring them out um, but day to day, we do other types of training, like rope training, which is also involved with this uh, rescue through the helicopter, and then also like packaging patients and doing our medical assessments. So we're constantly, if we're not on a call, especially with a rescue truck, we're we're training. So that we're constantly training um, every every day that we're on duty. And then firefighter Matt, for you, the initial contact with Ian, what was that like? Because like you said, he was in pretty good condition for someone yeah, that lasted that long, fell that far. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, you know, I was, I was surprised throughout the whole, the whole initial contact and my, my first conversation with him and everything. I was really surprised how coherent he was. He knew where we, we, uh, part of our assessment is, is, um, developing an orientation of the patient like does he know where he is does he know what his name is and all that and after three days you know mm-hmm. after falling sliding falling a thousand so feet probably got knocked out at some point severely dehydrated no food i was very surprised that he was able to communicate with me pretty clearly um he said he was in a bunch of pain he kind of pointed me in the directions of his main pain and but he was smiling. He was really happy to see us. He was just, he was really emotional and rightfully so. And, you know, it was just, I was just in disbelief the entire time. And it was, it was really nice to be able to do an assessment and, and communicate with him and talk with him rather than just try to find out what's wrong with him. Mm-hmm. If somebody's on, you know, if he was unconscious or something, I wouldn't have been able to communicate with him at all. But yeah, it, you know, initially he was, he was, asking how we found him you know he was really surprised that we found him he he knew he said i knew if there was any way i was getting out of this alive it was going to be a helicopter flying by and he he said so when he he heard the helicopter he was like they got to be here for me and uh luckily we were able to spot him and yeah it was it was really interesting yeah like you said the way they found him right so my cell phone doesn't live past that day is that common or maybe cap? So like, just to get back to HPD's involvement with this, I think without, without Reed Tagamari and his, um, you know, the missing persons crew that he works with, we wouldn't have had that location found. So HPD does have a means to communicate with, um, the cell phone companies Mm -hmm. and then ping basically where cell phones are because of privacy laws. There's a lot of things that they have to go through and that's how we are able to access that information. And, Actually, the information that was given to them was more of just like a general area, mm-hmm. but because of one of his um, 
team members, they were able to basically triangulate uh, an exact point. And the point that it was um, giving us and the point where we found him was roughly about 500 feet. And it could be very well where his phone was because when we did get him, he did not have his phone on him. So at some point, the phone could have fallen out. It could be basically sitting there in that same spot. You know, so it's just the technology nowadays is is unbelievable. And I cannot stress like the, you know, the um, interaction between us and HPD, how how we made it happen, you know, and it's the same interaction that we have with EMS and all of these different city agencies working together is really what makes it work. You know, our part was to bring him off the mountain, but we wouldn't have found him without HPD and he wouldn't have had the medical assistance he needed without EMS. So, And then firefighter Matt, for you, how many rescues have you been a part of and how did this one compare? Because I imagine this one's a little different. Yeah. Uh, How many? It's a hard, we were talking about that earlier. It's a hard question (laughs) to answer. I think, I don't know what this, that's. Yeah, you kind of had the numbers as far as what, we see in the department yeah so for for 11 months in 2023 we the two rescue trucks performed 213 mountain rescues um so you know if you divide that up between the days and the trucks it it's gonna equal it's a significant amount um how many i i I would be hard to say but the when people are missing as long as he was missing you don't expect um that great of an outcome and yeah i mean you know not to be morbid but we weren't really expecting to find somebody alive to be completely honest so the mindset we have to even like mentally prepare ourselves right 100 because we all honestly we have to unfortunately deal with people passing and sometimes for our own sanity have to so we were kind of prepping ourselves for that as we were searching for you and actually physically prepping like so I was on the ground while they were doing their initial initial search and I was prepping like I had a body bag out I had things to help us if we have to deal with a body you know because things are different in that in that case and uh so mentally preparing for that like Cap said is exactly what we were doing and so that's the first time that I was expecting not to find somebody in good condition and finding them in very surprisingly good condition. So that was different about this call for sure. Um, one of the su- really surprising things, and it was because of what Cap Adrian just explained with HPD being able to ping his last known location of his phone, and that's only because a missing persons report was filed and HPD was able to um, access that information. But I mean, the search, the search and rescue portion of it took less than an hour probably hour and a half or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think it from was, the time we got the call from HPD to the time we gave them to EMS was uh, just over two hours, two hours and 13 minutes. And that's from like all of our, we got to travel from where we were at the training center all the way to the scene. We got to prep everything, get in touch with everyone, figure out what we're going to do. And to only take two two hours to find a guy that's been, you know, out there for three days, it was a really, really quick and really like smooth kind of seamless operation. Yeah. So then what was it like, you know, once you realized this wasn't one of those cases where you needed to, to use that body bag to be a part of such a success story? Yeah. I'm sure you went home that night and felt a little different than you yeah. did maybe, you know, the night before. Yeah, we were, I'll start, but yeah, I think every single one of us was, was felt pretty good about being able to bring that guy out alive. Yeah, it was, we were surpri- all initially surprised and then all really happy that like that's, that's why we sign up for this job, you know, is to 
because how long that guy could have survived out there, we're not sure. He was doing pretty good considering. But if we didn't have all of the access to all the all of our resources, the, the helicopter, the training we get and everything, there's no telling if he ever would have been found, you know? So like that is an example of exactly why all of us sign up for this job for sure. Yeah, I know I, I agree and mimic everything. I, I think pretty much every member of our fire department probably initially joined because of the dream of running into a house and saving someone's life from a burning fire. Our, our job as on rescue is a little bit different, but we still do go to fires. But, you know, we were we basically went to the mountain to help save this guy's life. So anytime we can affect the rescue and help someone, um, you know, get, you know, the thing that someone's always brought mentioned to me, you know, that I've heard since I've been in the department is someone is calling us because they're having probably the worst day of their life. Right. So they're coming. They're asking for us to come and help. And whenever we're able to help them and help them get to that need the help that they need, then, you know, it's a win. So I'd say, although this is an extraordinary case, every day our department is doing this, you know, even just a couple of days ago, um, the boys on the other watch found a woman who was was only found because of her dark dog barking below a trail. And because they found the dog, they found her bag, and from their bag, they found her. And otherwise there was no report of anybody missing. So, I mean, it happens all the wow. time. It just happens that this case went very big because of how large of a possible fall he may have had and you know but we guys are doing stuff throughout our department on a daily basis and you know it's all everybody collectively doing that and it's not just you know myself or matt so definitely but it, it yeah it definitely feels good to be able to help somebody and that's that's i think why we're here yeah in a press conference last month ian had um admitted to using google maps um to guide him is that common? And in your mind, is there a better way that folks can navigate when they're hitting up these trails, especially here on Oahu? Yeah, definitely. I think we, we've noticed that maybe Google itself is not a reliable source for hiking um, trails and what you should do, especially since we heard that from uh, Ian himself. Mm-hmm. Actually, just recently, within the last couple of weeks, we've gone to rescue hikers on that same trail. Um, just earlier this week, we went up there and spent six hours trying to hike one of the hikers out from a, near the location where we found Ian. And about a week ago, we also rescued three girls that because the trail or sorry, the hike took so long that they lost light and they didn't have any flashlights. So we had to walk in and get them. So I would recommend if you're going hiking on Oahu, the best way to do it is look on um, Na'alahele. Mm-hmm website those are all sanctioned state trails that are upkept and yeah there's still danger involved but they are all um, sanctioned and kept in good condition and are and are accessible for hiking so you guys have to go out to that same trail and i mean that's not a hike that people do all the time what kind of training does it take to be able to i mean hike for five hours and and it was windy earlier this week too yes um the physical fitness that it takes to go out and help these people must be pretty strict regimen. So I was lucky I didn't hike as much as Matt, so I let Matt uh, <laughs> field this question. Um, no, that's a that's a really good point, and definitely within the rescue program itself, uh, we kind of understand that we might be asked to um, participate in an extremely long hike with a lot of elevation gain and loss, and it's very physically demanding. I mean the the. I think everybody knows that the fire service is a physically demanding job. 
Um, but you'll find on in the, within the rescue program that guys take their physical fitness very seriously. Everybody probably eats good and you know tries to get as much um, recovery as possible before their shifts. You know, and yeah, the the call we had on that same trail, like like Cap said, is was uh, it was a really really long, really arduous hike in really um, non advantageous conditions. It was rainy, very windy, and very dangerous and uh yeah the all of our physical limits were definitely tested and you know the at the end of the hike six hours later we're you know traveling back to clean up our equipment and everything and all of us were kind of like getting our little cramps in our quads you know like everything's starting to lock up because you know we left the station we didn't know that we were going to go on a six-hour hike so some of us didn't eat breakfast some of us barely had any water Luckily, we're able to bring some with us, you know, but but health, physical fitness, nutrition is a huge part of our job. And it's something we always got to keep in the back of our minds because we don't know when that's going to happen. You know, you just got to be ready for it. And Captain, for you, you know, you mentioned sanctioned trails and, and, you know, making sure you don't run out of daylight. But are there any kind of tips that you can provide that would prevent these types of situations from occurring where firefighter Matt has to hike for six hours with no water. Yeah, definitely. Like obviously being prepared and doing your research, going to reliable sources for that research, like not Alahele, um, because I think it will provide you with a good idea of how, lo- how long the trail is both and in, in distance and in how long the time it will mm-hmm. take to do it. Making sure you have the uh, appropriate things like uh, food and water, or at least like some snacks and water. And being, if you are hiking more towards the end of the day, making sure you have lights to be able to get yourself out. Obviously, don't hike alone. That That is a huge one. Uh, and if you decide to do that, make sure you at least let people know where you're hiking, when you're expected to come out. And nowadays, everybody has their cell phone, so you should definitely have your cell phone with you. The unfortunate part when you're hiking is you don't always have cell service, mm-hmm. so you can't only just rely on your cell phone. So it's always good to let people know um, that you're out there so that if you don't make it back in time, then they can uh, call for help. Um, And then also just being prepared for weather, checking the weather in general is a good idea. Like the rescue earlier this week, um, they probably shouldn't be on that trail period just because of not, not only because of the trail itself was illegal, you know, being the poly notches, but also because of how bad the weather was. I mean, even though you got to the summit, the only view they had was clouds. So I don't know why you would want to do that trail. on a day like that but but yeah those are some of the things that i think would help to keep everybody safe and maybe reduce some of the risks that um the boys have to take in order to affect these rescues yeah and then something that i mean when you said it it really stuck in my mind but the earlier rescue where where the dog just kept barking until somebody came to help yeah so it's an interesting why we didn't personally go to it but there were people hiking on a trail it was called Lonnie Pole is the trail and they the people as they were hiking heard a dog barking so they called 911 for help and as they got over there um, they've located the dog and then because they realized obviously a dog was probably with a person they did a search in the area and after finding like the person's bag they found her ID they found her keys confirmed that her her car was still at the trailhead they did a bigger search of the area and then they found her and she was actually unconscious at the time and they were able to get her out of the mountain, get her to help and she regained consciousness. I'm not sure if on the way to the hospital or at the hospital. And from what we understand, she's in good condition now. 
you had mentioned, um, you know, sometimes you don't have the best cell service. Say you are on a, a sanctioned trail, maybe you do get lost, you know, there's all these outshoots. Um, what should you do when you're starting to run out of day, like you've become lost, you don't have the best cell service. What is your advice to people? Call 911 if you can, because and, and basically stay where you're at. It's hard for us to find a moving target. Um, so that's probably one of the first things we always tell people when they do call 911, because if we're only going to one spot, it makes it easier on us. Um, but if you if you feel like you can, another, actually something I could have mentioned is if you use certain apps that can track where you're going and use GPS, they're able to give you an idea of where you're at and maybe you'll be able to walk yourself out by following the map and following the trails. Um, because even though you don't have cell service, a lot of those apps work through GPS and you'll still be able to get yourself out of it, the situation. Um, firefighter Matt, for you, how long have you been with the department and what made you want to join? Yeah, I've been with the department a little over seven years. Um, I was always uh, interested in the fire service since I was a kid. My uncle was a firefighter, so I think that just kind of drove me in that direction. And then eventually I got over here employed with Honolulu Fire Department. And um, yeah, I mean, I think the same reason everybody is interested in the job, especially if you have like a family member or a friend that's a part of the fire service, it, it looks like a pretty, um, pretty good life, you know, and pretty rewarding. And I think, yeah, the same reason as, you know, most people would say, you know, I was, you know, I'm happy to help people. I, it's a good lifestyle if, if you're into physical fitness and everything. And um, yeah, just, just the job itself was attractive. And then um, I didn't necessarily anticipate becoming a part of like this rescue program, but once I kind of got in this department and learned about what they do, I, I, it became a really big interest to me. And I, you know, tried to go down that path and see see if I could, because it's you know, it's a kind of a specialty position, I guess. And there's a, a few um, extra things that we we have to um, complete before we can be accepted into the program and. Um, working towards that goal was was really interesting to me and really challenging. I think everybody on the rescue program would agree that it's a very challenging position and challenging to get. And um, so so that attracted me to the rescue program and then, you know, eventually ended up full time on the truck. And yeah, I'm super happy with my decisions for sure. Cap Adrian, what about you? So I'm coming up on 17 years. I originally kind of decided to or wanting to join the department because I was actually living in New York at the time and it was a few years after 9-11 and just actually one of the people I lived next to, she was in the towers when everything happened and just the respect that, in, especially in New York, that people have for firefighters. I wanted to be a part of it, but I also wanted to be home. So actually I flew home to take my written test and I flew home like three times actually. Two, <laughs> and I was, I lucked out in that I passed it, came home and joined the fire department and while in recruit class, I learned about rescue and it had a lot of my similar interests, like being in the water, um, being up in the mountain and just enjoying the island that we live on. And, you know, I wouldn't change anything and I'm super stoked to be in the department and, and to be a part of this rescue program and thankful for it. And just happy to be here to help our community. You know, every, every day, we just, you know, we can go home and feel like we did something good for our community. And oh, yeah, it's that's nice. Right. Yeah. Water rescues too. Yeah. Water rescues, mountain rescues. You guys are kind of jack of all trades. <laughs> we oh, try. You have to be the master of all trades. <laughs> like, um, firefighter Matt, you, you know, you talked about your family. 
And then when this incident with Ian Snyder came up and people from CNN cover it, it's all over the world news, really. What was the response from your family? Yeah, you know, it's not it's not every day that I, you know, explain to my family what I do on a daily basis. And, you know, I give them tidbits here and there when when something interesting comes up. But that was one that I think they had heard about it before I even got a chance to tell them the story. So it's usually pretty cool. You know, like parents are always going to be proud of, you know, especially I'm sure everybody else can agree like you know it's it's nice to tell your parents that you did something good especially as a firefighter and uh this was one of those ones where i don't it's hard to say they even understand the extent of like oh oh you go in the helicopter that's interesting you know like that sounds dangerous i'm like no no it's fine you know don't worry about me but uh they were able to see a few things on the news and yeah my, my both my parents i talked to both of them and they were just like really really happy that you know we're able to help people in that capacity and and proud of you know that i'm doing a job like that for sure for sure yeah and cap adrian for you like you said this is your home so your whole family got to see what happened and then probably got to watch the press conference uh what was their reaction yeah i mean we've been doing it enough that they've heard some of my stories and you know we've you know like i was mentioning it happens a lot more than just this one time Mm -hmm. so they they weren't surprised but um but yeah, I mean it. I'm sure they're proud though. They're proud for sure. <laughs> yep, and it's uh, yeah. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. We'll but have to yeah, ask them. Yeah, we'll get them on a, a one Oahu podcast bonus episode. <laughs> um, at the press conference, we keep mentioning Ian Snyder had thanked the first responders who rescued him. Um, not just you folks, but EMS was there as well. Um, but what did he say to you before the cameras came on? And you know, he was kind of healed up a little more than the state that you, you found him in initially. Um, what's the first thing that he said to you guys? And then I also want to know the first thing that his mom said to you guys. Yeah, I think the he was just really full of gratitude. He was just very thankful. He just wanted us to all understand how, and even during the during the alarm itself, he was very, you know, he expressed his, his gratitude. And But just at the press conference, I think he just, you know, he had had time to kind of clear his head. He right. was still a little bit, um, couldn't remember everything. You know, I don't think he, he will remember everything, mm-hmm. but just so thankful and just really, you know, gracious about he understood what what we did to get him out of there, you know, and he just wanted us to know that he was so thankful. And same, same with his parents. It wasn't so much, you know, what they said specifically as like the relief on the face of both of his parents and, and his gratitude towards us and everybody that helped, you know. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. He pretty much was very thankful that we did what we did, and you know, it was cool because I, th- if I remember correctly, his dad is like a volunteer fireman, so it's oh, wow. it's cool to be able to, you know, help one of our brothers, and mm-hmm. it, you know that his son was in need, and we were able to help him with that. So you know, just in general, being a firefighter, there's like a brotherhood, whether they're in Washington State or they're here. You know, we we all try to help each other out when. We are in times of need, so. But yeah, they were definitely very um, thankful for what, what happened or what we did. Well, thank you guys so much for your time. Is there anything we missed? Um, don't hike alone. <laughs> hike on trails that are legal. Um, you know, look up the website and see, see which trails. You know, if you just look it up and it's not there, then it means you shouldn't be on it. You know, Polynotch is just to reiterate it. It's not a sanctioned trail. It's very dangerous. Um, and there's a lot of trails like that on the island. If you're going to tra- hike trails that 
you're not familiar with, try to go with somebody that is familiar with it. That's the best thing to do rather than just, you know, try to Google it and see what you can find and then just wing it. Um, and then just be prepared, you know, just being prepared as Cap Adrian explained earlier what, what to do. Yeah. I think the only thing I just would like to reiterate and, and highlight that, you know, although we're the, here's the people here talking to you about the incident, you know, there's much more people that were involved to, that made it happen. Uh, the incident itself and then even all the training that comes, you know, so I guess, you know, just knowing that in the department, we all work together to get a mission done, even though, you know, Matt was the first one down there to help him. There was lots of folks that made that possible, you know, even from when he first started training, doing rescue stuff or even just in the department. Absolutely. And then also that coordination between HPD and, and uh, EMS in order to affect that rescue, how all the city agencies work well together to care for this guy who's visiting Oahu and we were able to, you know, have a great outcome and he'll enjoy hopefully a long, fruitful life. So, yeah, that's well, it. Thank you guys so much for your time, but probably more importantly, thank you for your service because oh, you. this is pretty incredible what you guys do day in and day out. We're happy to do it. Thank you, Randy. And next week, we're back with Mayor Rick Blangiardi. If you have a question for the mayor, you can submit your podcast questions by heading to oneoahu.org slash podcast, and we'll get those questions answered next week right here on the One Oahu Podcast. And if you have a question for these guys, I'm sure we could follow up, get them back on a podcast <laughs> episode again. Um, but thanks so much for listening. And until next time, aloha. Aloha.